Welcome to Salem Chapel. If you are new with us, man, we're glad you came into a place you've never been before. I know that's not an easy thing, so we're glad you're here. If you're watching us online, I know we have many people watching online, and you may be under the weather or whatever the case may be, and so, um, man, here's what I know. God's Word's going to make you feel better, and uh, we're going to be in God's Word, and when we here at Salem Chapel, we say when God's Word is open, God's mouth is open. Let me just say, I love teaching behind this. Uh, much better than the pub table uh, that, uh, that if you watched last week, I thought I was done teaching to a camera with nobody in the room, but God had other plans, and uh, I reminded myself of that last week when I was a little like frustrated. I'm like, seriously? Like, I swear, it only snows on Sundays here in North Carolina. Um, that's just the way that it works. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, I get it. Like, my road was a complete sheet of ice. Like, the, the guy who was supposed, or girl, I don't know who was supposed to plow it, I guess forgot, or whatever it was. So I get it. We, there's no way that I could have gotten to church in the morning, but, uh, but I don't know. Maybe we need to come up with something like wisdom from the pub table or something. Let me need to call it that. I hope we never have to use it again. Uh, but at the same time, I was reminded, you know, it was like, Lord, this is where you wanted this message delivered. And so this is your best, even though I may not think it's, it's my best, God, it's your best. And so hopefully that was a blessing to you last week if you turned in and watched that from your living room, wherever you may have watched it. Uh, but today it's good to be in the room. It's good to be in the room. And, uh, and so if you're new with us, we've been in this series walking through the book of John and uh, the title is behind me, That You May Believe. And we came up with that title because that's exactly what John says the purpose of, his, of this gospel is. John, the apostle uh, of Jesus, a disciple that walked closely with Jesus, he writes the purpose in John 20, that you, that I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That that is something that, that, that the Lord Lord desires for every one of us that, that we would see that he is our savior from our sin. He lived, he died, he rose again for your sin and mine. Yes, but he's also the savior that just doesn't save, but he's also the savior that sustains us in every day of our life, good or difficult. And as much as we put our faith and trust in believing that Jesus is our savior to begin that relationship with him, which is amazing and fantastic and glory to be to God that he's provided that through Jesus. And we also grow in our believing as we walk with the Lord. And so today is no different. We're in John chapter 9. We're going to read this entire chapter here in a few minutes. But just want to give you an overview, an idea of what John 9 really focuses on. You know, we see this man. We get introduced to a man. If you're in our reading plan, you've already read this this week. We meet this man who was born blind. Didn't become blind, but he was born blind. And I don't know about you, you may have friends or acquaintances or relatives that are blind and you know firsthand from hearing their accounts the difficulty that that is. Can you imagine? I can't imagine what that obstacle would be. You never see the beauty of God's creation. You never see the faces of your loved ones. 
You ever, hear to, you ever hear and listen to someone on a podcast or a radio or whatever it is, and just listening to their voice, you're kind of imagining what they look like, and then you actually see them, and they're like the opposite of what they sound like? You ever, ever experienced that? This blind man would have never, never seen his loved ones, never seen a sunrise, never seen a sunset, never a landscape, never the color of the sky. But what I love that we're going to see in this chapter is when Jesus arrives on the scene, everything changes. Everything. The man was made to see. I wish I could have been there for that happening. To go from seeing nothing to never seeing any of the things that everyone else, that all of us would maybe take for granted, and to see his reaction the first time he actually has his eyes open in what he would have seen. But what we're going to see in this chapter is that's not the greatest miracle. As amazing as that would have been, the greatest miracle is how Jesus opened this man's heart to see that he was his Savior. We're going to see that in this chapter. But here's something else we're going to see. We're going to see the disciples asking Jesus this question, how was this man born blind? We're going to see that. We're going to read that in a second. We're going to see that the Pharisees were so focused on asking this. How did this miracle happen? How did it happen? And then focusing on reasons how they could explain away what had happened. We're going to see that the Pharisees, and we see this going back and forth in the Gospels. We're in John, so we're seeing in John back and forth. You've already been reading about it if you've been following along in our reading plan, which, by the way, you can access if you don't have it on our website or at the Welcome Center. They were so focused on asking how questions. The entirety of Jesus' ministry, that they missed the point of what Jesus was wanting them to see and believe. So here's the title of the message this morning if you're taking notes. It's not about how, it's about who. And as we walk through this passage, that title is gonna make more sense. But here's the idea that I want you to get, and then we're gonna dive in and read this passage of scripture. That Jesus is inviting you and he's inviting me. Right after all, that's what Jesus, I want you to believe that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is inviting you and me to move from asking how questions to who questions as you walk with him. We said this already, but abide is a very significant word in the book of John. Abide is a significant word for us here at Salem Chapel. It's a part of, of how we explain being a disciple of Jesus. How do we define abide? Literally, the word literally means to remain, to commune, to be in relationship with. Abiding. We define it as walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. And in your relationship with him and in my relationship with him, he wants to move us from only asking how questions in our life and focusing on who questions. Why? So that we can grow in our seeing and believing. So that we can grow in our seeing and believing the power that Jesus has in our lives, for our lives, and through our 
lives. Here's why I say he wants to move us from asking how questions to who questions as we walk with him. Because in this passage of scripture, what you're going to see is literally five times the Pharisees ask the question, how? Five times. But they never, what we'll see, they never ask who? Only how? But they never ask who? Now, I just want to pause here before we read this passage of Scripture and kind of unpack it this morning. And here's what I don't want you to get today and walk away with. And so I want to say this to be very clear. Jesus welcomes your questions. Jesus is never going to say to you, that's a dumb question. He's never going to do that. He welcomes your questions. We've already seen that already walking through the book of John, and we'll continue to see it, that Jesus welcomes our questions. But listen to me. He wants you to progress, to grow in your relationship with him so that you are less focused on the how and more focused on the who. So I'm going to give you two things that you need to understand in order to grow in seeing and believing what Jesus can do in your life. But before I give you those two, let's read verses 1 through 17, and then I'll give you the first one. Look at verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. And he passed by, and he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not this man that it's, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work, work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's a time, and we need to get after it. We need to, I need to do the work and, and fulfill the purpose of why Jesus sent me. Is the point, verse five. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We talked about the significance of that statement last week. Wisdom from the pub table, remember? Uh, Verse six. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Doesn't sound pleasant, does it? Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed And came back seeing. And the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man that used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. In other words, no, but it looks like him. Is not this the man who used to, um, sorry, he kept saying, This is what I love. I love just the imagery. I don't know. Maybe this is funny to you. Maybe it's not. It's funny to me. Like they're saying, hey, yeah, it's him. Others are like, nah, nah, it looks like him. Here's what the guy's saying. I'm the man. Like, it's me. Like, I'm telling you guys, it's me. Verse 10. So they said to him, then how are your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, well, where is he? He said, I do not know. Well, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was Sabbath day, so the day of rest, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him, 
how he had received his sight. And he said to them, well, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Verse 17. So they again said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he says, he said, he is a prophet. Do you see how many times already in just these 17 verses the Pharisees ask, how? And this poor guy's just like, I don't know how. I know who. So here's the first thing we need to understand in order to grow in seeing and believing what Jesus can do. Number one, we often only ask, how did this happen? Jesus wants us to ask, who can heal what happened? See, how did this happen questions are not bad questions. But they aren't the only question we should be asking. Because if we only focus on how did this happen questions, it often leads us to the following false conclusions. Let me give these to you. That can cause us, when we only ask these questions and we never move to the who, it can cause us to make false conclusions that, that lead us to miss what the Lord is wanting us, wanting you, wanting me to see and believe. Here's what, here's the first faulty conclusion or false conclusion we can make when we only focus on how did this happen. Here's the first one. I did something wrong and God is judging me for it. Or they did something wrong and God is judging them for this. Do you see that in the passage? The disciples just make the assumption. They're like, hey, uh, Jesus, we see this blind man and you saw this blind man. Well, obviously he sinned or his parents sinned, which is why he's blind. So they just make a blanket statement of judgment that God is judging this person. God is judging his parents which is why he's blind. Here's what you need to understand about suffering. Because so many times we can make this false conclusion when we only say, man, how did this happen? Listen, suffering can be corrective. Okay? There's times that it can be corrective. What do I mean by that? There's times that, that it can be a consequence of our sin and God in his grace, in his love for us, allows us to come into our lives to bring us, to get our attention, to bring us back on the right path and walking hand in hand with them as he leads the way. Sure, suffering can be corrective. But listen to me, suffering can also be constructive. Like you can encounter suffering. This man's particular suffering was that he was born blind. Uh, suffering can be constructive. In other words, it's not necessarily my fault. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, like, this just happened to me. was born this way. I have this ailment. I have this handicapped. I have this situation. It's not my fault. Maybe suffering that, that has been done to you. You didn't do anything to deserve that. There's no way that you deserve that. It was done to you. It's not your fault. But I think we also need to understand that Suffering, including this man's blindness, was the result of living in a broken world. 
It's a result of sin. Why do we have cancer? Why do we have loved ones who get that diagnosis and, and that cancer takes them from us? Oh, we can mention many other things. Why are people born blind or lame or without limbs or whatever it is? Because we live in a broken world. But it's not necessarily because God is judging you for something. Suffering can be constructive and it's designed to build character. It's designed to give God glory. And Jesus tells his disciples this was the case with this blind man. But man, we can allow ourselves to get stuck only asking this question. How could this have happened? How could it have happened? I wonder if there's some of you that are sitting in this audience this morning or watching me on the screen And whether it's corrective suffering or whether it's constructive, whether, it's a, whether you can point and say, man, I know exactly why I'm experiencing this. Or maybe you're leading to a faulty conclusion that, well, I obviously didn't do something and that is why God has brought this on me. I've said this before when we were walking through the book of Judges, I use this analogy, that oftentimes we see God's hand as a fist that's just looking to crush Right, that I live my life and I'm like, man, I better give in the offering plate because I want to make sure that my bills are paid and I better make sure that I go to church this week because I got a big meeting and if I don't go to church this week, then I'm not going to have, a, I'm not gonna have the outcome that I want and I better read my Bible every day because if I don't read my Bible every day, then God's going to bring some bad consequence in my life and if I don't pray every day, then God's going to do this in my life and, and, and I'm going to have this bad outcome and, and we just view this our God is this vengeful God with this fist that's just waiting to pour down wrath and judgment on our life. Some of you grew up with that concept of God. And you're stuck only asking this question, how did this happen? Some of you have had things done to you that no one should have done to them. Have experienced things that no one should have experience. I've had suffering come into your life that's constructive and you're, and you're asking yourself, what did I do? How did this happen? And you're stuck. I'm not saying it's not a good question to ask. What I'm saying is it's not the only question to ask. Here's another faulty conclusion that we can make. I or they cannot change. When I'm only focused on how did this happen, here's what I can oftentimes think. How did this happen? There's no way that I can change. I've ruined my life. There's no getting out of this. There's no way to get past this shame. There's no way to get past this guilt. There's no way to get past this hurt. I can never change. This circumstance can never change. How about this? They can never change. That was the Pharisees' conclusion. That was the neighbor's conclusion for some of them. Like, there's no way that this guy has been healed. He can't change. That's impossible. I know it. I saw him blind. He's been blind since birth. There's no way this, pos this is possible. He can't change. They were so focused on the how. 
But they never asked who. Who could have made this happen? And listen to me. I'm so thankful in my life that there were people that didn't make the conclusion about me that Johnny can't change. You ought to be so thankful that you're sitting here this morning that someone believes that you can change. And you're like, Johnny, I can't even point to you a person right now. All I am hearing is, is that I can't change. No more chances. You're done with. You have served your purpose and you're done. But listen to me. God doesn't want you to only ask, how did this happen? Listen, here's what he wants you to ask. Who can heal what happened? Who can heal? Who can heal me? Who can change me? Who can heal what was done to me? Because when you ask who can heal what happened, here's what you're open to seeing and believing, the following things. Here's the first thing, that you're, the truth, the truth, not a lie, the truth that my blindness can serve a greater purpose. And that's true whether your suffering is corrective or whether your suffering is constructive. Whether it's a consequence of what you've done and you can clearly identify it as such, like there's no doubt, you're like, Johnny, there's no doubt that I'm experiencing this right now because I've made some poor sinful choices. Or you may be... This isn't my fault. Like I, I didn't, I, I, I can't get caught up in it. Like there's nothing that, that I can look to. Like my God's not a vengeful God. Like th this was done to me or it's a result of me living in a broken world. But listen to me. When you ask the question, who can heal what happened? It opens you up to see and believe that this suffering this yuck, this ugly can serve a greater purpose. Isn't that what everybody's looking for in life? Purpose. Here's why I say that. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples when they ask him, well, this is obviously a result of this man singing, sinning or his parents. Jesus says this, the, this is the purpose, that the works of God says this in verse three, if you're following along, the works of God might be displayed in him. You wanna know why this man is blind? So that I can get the glory. So that people can realize how much power I have. So that people can see that I never make a judgment on a person, but I see the opportunity and the possibility that they can be healed. And this is true of you, and this is true of me. If God has opened up my eyes to see him as my savior. This is true of every person who was born blind, and I'm speaking of spiritual blindness. That God opened up my eyes, why? So the works of God could be displayed through what he's done in my life. So that when someone wants to say they can't change, when someone wants to say, oh, it's just the result of sin that they're experiencing, God's done with him or her. That God can take your life and say, 
oh, I'm going to take that blindness. I'm going to take that brokenness. And I'm going to use it so that people see that I am who I say I am. Here's another thing that you're open and seeing, to seeing and believing when you ask, who can heal what happened? You're open to receiving Jesus' healing power for your blindness. Every person in this room and watching me online right now or listening to me later on during the week or whenever you're listening or watching this, every person that has placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior has asked the who question. Who can save me? Who loves me? Who can change my heart from a place of hardness to a place of tenderness? Who? Because when you ask who, you're open to seeing what Jesus can do. See, the blind man couldn't see Jesus. Couldn't see him. Why? He was blind. Because he was blind, the blind man couldn't seek Jesus. Because he couldn't see where he was or where he was going. The blind man couldn't find Jesus. But look at what it says in verse 1. And he, Jesus, passed by. Say this with me if your Bibles are open. Verse 1. Read the rest of verse 1 with me. And he saw a blind man from birth. Okay, I gave you a chance. Now let's all read it out loud. Can we do that? Ready? Ready? Verse verse 1. And he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. Who saw? Jesus saw. Not his disciples, not somebody else. Jesus saw. It was Jesus who saw this man. This blind man couldn't see Jesus, but Jesus saw the blind man. And when Jesus saw him, he saw him as a man who needed his help. Jesus alone saw him this way. Nobody else. His disciples didn't see him this way. The disciple looked at the man And saw him as a sinner and asked, who sinned this man, him or his parents? The neighbors looked at him as a beggar. They asked, isn't he the man who sat and begged? The Pharisees saw him as a tool. For they wanted to maneuver him to trap Jesus. But Jesus, he was the only one. He saw him as a man who needed help. And he saved him. Listen to me. Jesus this morning wants you to ask, who can heal what happened to me? Jesus wants you to ask, who can heal that person that I've lost hope for? Some of you have been praying for weeks, months, years. For the Lord to save your spouse. And you've lost hope. But what Jesus wants you to see today is that Jesus can heal that person's blindness. Some of you may have a wayward child. And you're asking and you're evaluating and you're saying to yourself, could we have parented different? Maybe this is a consequence of something that we didn't do. And you've gotten yourself so in the muck of asking how this happened. And Jesus wants you to ask, who can heal what has happened? That Jesus is the answer for that person's blindness. 
And he wants to breathe hope in what you've given up for. See, that's why I say Jesus this morning in our walk with him wants to move us from only asking how questions to who questions because when we ask who questions, we're open and growing and seeing and believing. But have you asked this question when you read this maybe this week? Why the mud in the eyes? Like, I get it. Like, if I was born blind, I wouldn't care what Jesus did to my eyes to heal them. But those of us who are seeing this morning would say, I would prefer a different way than you spitting in the mud and taking that mud and rubbing it on my eyes. Not the most hygienic thing in the world, right? I mean, doesn't it sound like foolishness? It does to me. Spit mixed with dirt. Not a remedy used in hospitals today. But you know what I think that shows us this morning? And it says it in the New Testament, the gospel seems like foolishness to those who don't believe. Wait a minute. You mean God putting on human flesh and choosing to come in the form of a baby, to grow in a mother's womb, to be birthed in a stable, to grow with no means, to learn what it means to be a carpenter, to know what it means to grow in wisdom and stature as a human being, but also being God. That, that God in the flesh, Jesus, being 100% God and 100% man, like I can't even understand how that's possible. And that he would live a perfect life and never sin. And that that perfect life was lived for me, my sinful life, to replace it, to replace your sinful life. That he died on a cross, not deserving death. He was perfect, but yet he died on a cross. How could he have deserved that? And not only that he died on the cross for you and me and for all of humanity, but that he rose again three days later. Like, who believes in that stuff? If you're honest with yourself, it sounds like foolishness. Just like spit with mud. Just as silly as it sounds, you're gonna put spit in mud, put it on my eyes, and I don't know how he got to the pool of Siloam, but somebody obviously took him there and he washes and he's able to see. That sounds like crazy talk. And so does the gospel to those who don't believe. So does the gospel to you before you believed it. But what did Jesus do? He met you. Well, maybe you started out asking how, but he brought you at a place to ask who. And he opened up your eyes to see that he's your savior. Here's a third thing that can happen when you ask who can heal what happened. Man, you get a story of healing to tell others. You get a story to tell. How amazing is that? Like this guy, and we're gonna see here as we read the rest of this passage, gets berated with all these questions and he's like, hey, all I know is, is I was blind and now I see. And I got a story to tell. I want to tell other people what has happened to me. I want to tell people what I have been healed from. Listen to me. This is so important to understand. Your healing isn't meant to be hidden. It's not. 
Your story's not meant to be hidden. You want to minimize your story. And I've found the longer and longer that you walk in your Christian life, you're like, oh, my story's not significant. Listen to me, every story of someone who has been brought to spiritual sight from spiritual blindness is significant. So you have a particular story that has brokenness and it has pain and it has hurt and it has tragedy. But if you've accepted Jesus as your savior this morning and you're growing as you abide with him, listen to me, you have a story of healing and people need to hear it. And your story of healing is different than my story of healing. Why? Because God knows that there's people that need to hear your story who are going through exactly what you went through. Your story's not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be shared. My story is not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be shared. Why? Because it's a story of healing. Let's keep reading in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So they're like going to open up an investigation here. Verse 19. And they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? See that next word with me? How? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees now we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes? Ask him. He is of age, for he will speak for himself. Now let me stop there. Here's the reason why his parents were leery to share who had healed their son. Because the Pharisees would kick you out of the synagogue where you worshiped if you believed that Jesus was who he says he was. So there's an intimidation going on here. Verse 22. His parents said these things because, here we go, they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Verse 23, therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. In other words, he's a big boy, he can speak for himself. Verse 24, so for the second time they called the man who had been born blind. This poor guy, he's like, how many, how many times do I need to answer this? And said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. I love this verse. Man, I, I want to meet this blind guy in heaven. Verse 25, he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I know, that I was blind and now I see. They said to him, well, what did he do to you? <laughs> what did he do to me? What's the next word? Say it again. Okay, thank you. How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Man, I love this guy's like sense of humor here. It's a man after my own heart. Verse 28. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered. What an awesome answer. Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he's come from, but yet he opened my eyes. And we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. 
They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that he cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he, the, blind, the one who was at one time blind, answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. In other words, I've come to heal, to give sight to those who know they're blind. And I've come for those who think they're good to show them that they're not, that I'm their savior. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. In other words, if you understood you were blind, you wouldn't be asking that question. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. See, here's the second thing that we need to understand in order to grow in believing the power of what Jesus can do. I gave you the first one. We often only ask, how did this happen? Jesus wants us to ask, who can heal what happened? Here's the second thing. We often ask, how can I explain away what has happened? And Jesus wants us to ask, who is the only one who could have made this happen? Some of us are sitting in this room today and we are cynical. We are skeptical. We, and I say this out of love, have a heart of a Pharisee. See, when I ask how can I explain away what happened questions, here's what it leads me to. It leads me to these following false conclusions. Here's the first one. Jesus can't be the answer. Johnny, I'm looking at this person in my life and I'm saying they can't change. I'm looking at this person in my life and they say that they put their trust in Jesus. They say that they love Jesus, but I'm telling you right now, the jury's still out because I don't believe that Jesus can make a difference. And you're looking to explain away what has already happened. What has already begin to, begun to happen, but you're saying in your heart, Jesus can't be the answer. That's too simple. That's cheapening the complexity of what has happened in my life. And I'm sitting here listening to you today and listening to God's word, and I'm saying to myself, but you don't know what happened and how it happened. And friend, hear me today. I sympathize with whatever that is. I've been a pastor long enough to hear stories that literally break my heart and make me cry. But my responsibility is to point you to the who. My responsibility when I'm hurting and I'm questioning is to look to the who. But some of us are like, Jesus can't be the answer. No way Jesus could have done it. That was the Pharisee's response. Here's another faulty, false conclusion we can make. I am the judge and jury on what is possible. I 
Like maybe you have kids and they've come to you and you're like, dad or mom, I'm so excited about what God's doing in my life and he's called me to leave this career and go to this career and I have assurance that this is where God is leading me and some of you are looking at them and you're like, I'm the judge and jury whether or not you should do that. That doesn't make sense on paper. You're throwing your life away. Because you're asking yourself, how could this have happened? And we see ourselves when we're cynical and we're skeptical that I'm the judge and jury on what's possible. I mean, this guy is in front of the Pharisees and he can see. And they still are saying that, the, that there's something going on here that's fishy. Here's what you're open to seeing and believing when you ask this question. Who was the only one that could have made it happen? Oh, that God would bring us to that question. God, let me take time to see who and ask, who is the only one who could have made this happen? Brings you to this, to being open to this the irrefutable evidence of Jesus' power to change your circumstances. How much evidence do we miss when we ask the wrong questions? I love this guy's response. I'll read it again, verse 25. He answers these skeptical, cynical Pharisees who are saying Jesus can't be the answer. We're the judge and jury on what's possible. And this man just answers, hey, one thing I know, that I was blind, but now I see. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, how much evidence have you missed to God's power, supernatural power, That is the reason why some of your circumstances have changed it. But you're looking to explain it away. Instead of saying, wait a minute. Who's the only one that could have made this happen? I don't know about you, but when I ask this question, when I've prayed this, you know, there's some prayers that we pray that you're going to get an answer from the Lord. You just are. It's not even going to be wait. It's going to be like, yep, you're praying that? All right. Here's a question that I've asked over and over again when I'm struggling saying, how could this have happened? Or how did this happen? Or how in the world is this going to happen? As I've said this, Lord, would you open my eyes to see the evidence that testifies that you're the only one who could have done this? Some of you have marriages that are in a different place today than they were even a year ago. But you've started already to drift to asking the wrong questions and you've forgotten. Who's the only one who could have made my marriage being in a different place today possible? Who's the only one Who could have saved my child? 
I started to forget that. Who's the only one who could have provided that financial need? Who's the only one that could have made it happen? See, when we ask that question, we're open to the irrefutable evidence of Jesus' power to change our circumstances. Here's the last thing. Here's what we're open to when we ask, who could have made this happen? That Jesus is your Savior, and he is worthy of your worship. Some of you came into the doors this morning, and you were down, and you were discouraged, and you just kind of felt like, meh. M-E-H, meh. And you kind of just stood here and you stood up and just kind of watched everybody else sing and you're like, man, why is that person so engaged in worship? And all we're thinking about is how did this happen? How could this have happened? you know what worship is meant to do? It's meant to open up your eyes so you can see and believe. No, no, no. Jesus was my Savior at salvation. And Jesus is my Savior to sustain me as I walk hand in hand with him as he leads the way. Why in the world can I trust Jesus to save me from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven and I can't believe that he is intervening in my life today. That I can't believe that can heal this situation in my life today. Because if we stopped asking the right questions. Jesus wants us to say, Jesus, you are my who. You are my who. I don't know if there's any significance in this, but I think it's interesting that how and who have the same letters in them. And some of us need to switch it up today. Because Jesus wants to grow you and he wants to grow me and seeing and believing the power that Jesus can perform in your life and through your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we are here today to worship you. We are here today to say the words of the blind man, that I was blind, but now I see. That Jesus, that I believe that you're my savior and my response is to worship you. God, keep us from having the heart and the perspective of the Pharisees and have the heart and the perspective of the blind man who was given the privilege to have the hand of Jesus touch his life so that he could see. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.